This week's support for the fine print with Attorney Jen Rout comes from Thrivent Financial. For more than 100 years, Thrivent has offered financial guidance about saving, spending, and sharing. Thrivent helps more than 2.3 million member owners be wise with money through its broad range of products and services, including life insurance, annuities, and mutual funds. To learn more about what makes Thrivent unique, contact John Grolo, FIC Financial Associate, at 614-567-7141. And now, The Fine Print with Attorney Jen Rout. Welcome to The Fine Print with Attorney Jen Rout. I am Attorney Jen Rout, and with me, as always, is my subversive sidekick, Ben Edenthal. Subversive. Anti-authority. I... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that checks the mark. Yep. That's it. Yep. Hi. Oh, how hi. you doing? Good. How are you? Yes. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. With yes. us today, we have my law partner, Chris Alley. Hi, Chris. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. Awesome. So do you so, know what we're talking about? Uh, well, since Chris is here and we just talked about divorce, mm-hmm. I'm assuming we're not talking about divorce again. True. So I'm going to so, guess that has something to do with the police. True. Okay. So a couple weeks ago. or Well, I guess we should start off by saying Chris was a former police officer. Yes. So... That's kind of yeah. So that's that's kind of where he's the uh, the expert on the whole thing at this point. So right, that you know, army ranger turned police officer turned lawyer. He's kind of seen it all. Yeah, yeah. So one side of our practice focuses on those cases where the police may have overstepped their authority. But that also means we look at cases where somebody wants to complain about the police overstepping their authority, and really, the person was just being a jerk. There's a whole lot of those. There's a lot of those. (laughs) Um, The vast majority come into that category. Right. But most recently, uh, in a Franklin County court, uh, there was a young man who was being read the riot act by a judge whose mother got very upset, who then started to attack the police officer who was in the room, and then the defendant, who was 17, I think, started attacking the police officer and went for his gun belt Mm. and didn't make it out of the courtroom. Mm. So naturally, this has brought up the old conversation of... Was the officer right? Was he wrong? What What's going on? Is there a complaint, police action, do overstepping their bounds? All of that stuff. So we thought we'd revisit police actions. Fair enough. All right. Now, I mean, that particular story, I mean, I've, I've heard kind of, I've heard a zillion different versions of the story, and it mm-hmm. depends on who you're listening to, that kind of thing. I'm assuming that's the more official take on the whole thing. Is that... Yeah, that's yeah. kind of the. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's still under. Technically, it's still under investigation, yeah. but that's that's the gist of the story. Of, yeah, I mean, I, I imagine it was in the courthouse, so I imagine there's probably cameras of the entire thing. Um, my guess. I actually on that floor in that area, I don't think there are. Hmm. Um, they do have like the the rolling audio tape from the officer communications. Um, Plus, they I'm, were on the record. Yeah, I don't know if they were on the record, if it was right after they went off the record. I, those those specifics, I do not know. Yeah. Um, this is another case of the moral of the story is behave yourself, 
think further than the next 30 seconds and act like he got some sense in the big picture. Um, it's a shame that that, that situation happened um, for both the family and, and the law officer. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, stuff like that shouldn't have to happen, but it does. Right. You get people that make knee-jerk reactions and, and make bad decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, emotions are high. I mean, it was, uh, oh, absolutely. It was a criminal proceeding, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was juvenile it? criminal. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, that's, I mean, emotions are high, and, I mean, that sort of thing can boil over. Did it need to result like that? I I don't know. Absolutely um, not. Yeah. No, right. but yeah. juvenile court is basically geared to try to rehab these kids, give them a second chance, put them on the path to where they can, they can have a decent life or sure. get their life together overall. And it's just, this is something with those, those cases that are rather tragic all the way around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Most of the scenarios that you see nowadays, like we said before, are just unnecessary. Yeah. They're overreactions or stupid reactions to an involvement with law enforcement. Right. Right. Um, and sometimes that does happen on the law enforcement side, too. Right. Because it's, right. it's people's reactions. Yeah. Yeah. I right. mean, you know, in this case, I mean, don't go for a cop's gun. That's a very in court. bad, bad idea. Or, or yeah. even the general area of the gun. Yeah. Because the <laughs> don't cop, go for a cop, well, actually. The, <laughs> yeah. The, the first reaction for a, a law enforcement officer is going to be, if you're going to that side of, of my body, near yeah. that thing, that's the one thing I got on me that can do a whole lot of damage with right. very other few people in the area that can defend themselves against. Right. So you're going to automatically kick the, the cop into to yeah. survival yeah. mode yeah. at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just you just don't do it, right? And I think a lot of the media attention has overreacted before they've gotten the facts within the last few years, mm. and it's put a whole lot more people into that mindset that cops are bad, cops mm. suck, that there's a higher percentage of cops out there that are bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this wonderful little personal opinion that there's probably one percent that are bad eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, the vast majority of the incidents that I've looked at are bad training. Mm-hmm. Um, or bad responses, or legitimate. Yeah. Uh, one of those three categories. The vast majority of them are legitimate when you go down fact by fact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess the, the big thing is your first reaction to dealing with the cop is if you have an issue with what the cop's doing, do as you're told, follow the instructions, verbally announce what you're doing to the cop, try to de-escalate on your side of things so it doesn't go crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I have not, in my experience, ran into a police officer or been with another police officer where if the person you're dealing with was respectful, that things went sideways. Yeah. Even if you're wrong, you know you have an outstanding warrant, whatever your situation may be, you're far better off to deal with the cop respectfully, take your lumps as you see fit, mm-hmm. deal with things in court uh, than to be on a slab in a morgue somewhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, sometimes it's not; it doesn't even go to that level. Um, I handled a case years ago where I'm going to call him a kid. He was probably 22, 23 at the time. He's a kid to us now. Yeah, he's kids these days. Um, But he was walking home from a wedding downtown, and Mm. he was highly inebriated, Mm -hmm. and he was outside of a bar. And trying to get in, and the police said, no, you need to go home. Mm-hmm. And he took a swing at an officer. Bad idea. And the officers put him down hard. Yeah. Um, I got called. I went to check him at the jail, and he was all sorts of bruised in a hot mess. Yeah. 
He took a swing at a police officer. It's a bad idea. They didn't take any lethal action, sure. but they're going to end the threat because right. they don't know what he has on him or anything else. Yeah. Um, and in that case, he was dressed in the pickle suit, which is a padded <laughs> um, outfit that people wear when they're very upset in mm. jail and they're a risk to themselves. Gotcha. Did, he have, well a, did he have a speed racer helmet on too or not? No speed racer helmet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no assuming speech. that is a helmet you wear. If yes. You're a danger when you, to when yourself. you have to be intoxicated, sometimes you have a bad habit of overreacting and beating your head against the wall. Right. Ah. So some uh, law enforcement agencies employ a what I, we used to refer to as the speed racer helmet. Right. And strap it on you. So if you were beating your head against the wall, you wouldn't really get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I, it sounds like you see the very best of humanity. <laughs> we see, all, but see, we, we, that's one of the best things about what we do is we really see. All spectrums. Yeah. We'll see the, why are you being a fool? Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. somebody doing something amazing. Yeah. So that's that's a really fun part of our job. Um, but what are the big things that we really look at when we evaluate these cases and kind of advise people? The, the first thing we have to look at is what caused the interaction between the cop and the person in the first place. Was, mm-hmm. it, was it a legitimate issue between law enforcement where they had to get involved with the person who's coming to see us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like like Jen said, you know, the vast majority of these issues are not dealing with lethal, lethal force. It's less than lethal, whether it be taser or, or chemicals or just a hands-on use of force. Um, so you have to look at that and see if there's a legitimate interaction between the cop and the person who's coming to see us and, and whether or not that was something that our person caused that's talking to us now or if it was a warrant service or where that came from and then go step by step through those interactions to see where things go the Mm -hmm. majority of these cases you can weed out within the first five minutes and figure out okay you overreacted you did something that caused the cop to start running up the the use of force continuum Mm -hmm. and go from verbal to hands-on to chemical to taser on up on the food chain um and that, that's something that you have to look at really close because the vast majority of these, these cases are extremely tough anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't do your homework on the front end of things, then you're, you're fighting a losing battle from the start. Right. Uh, and, and those people need a reality check if they are not necessarily a bad egg but have bad uh, – I guess a bad impression of their interaction with the law enforcement at that right. point. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, typically if you, get, if you get hit, you get cuffed, you get slammed – you're not going to have a very fond uh, yeah. view of, of law enforcement from that point forward anyway. Right. But if you're the one that caused it, you need a reality check. Yeah. And, I, you know, I've, I've never been shy with reality checks depending on my clients anyway. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think you're far better off to be honest with them up front and say, you know, this is your situation. This is what you're looking at. You either have a winner or you don't. You're either at fault, for my opinion, or not. And yeah. then, you know, either go on your merry way or we'll see if we can do something for you. Mm-hmm. One of those two. One of the things that I find that a lot of people don't realize is these cases are evaluated from the police officer's viewpoint. Yeah. So case law tells us that you have to look at it from the police officer's viewpoint. So Mm -hmm. somebody's walking along the side of the street and the officers ask a question and they smart off and then it escalates from there. You have to look at it from why was the officer even responding? Maybe right. that person meets a description from a 
bulletin that says, you know, the liquor store around the corner was robbed mm-hmm. by this person, you know, someone meeting this description. Yeah. So a police officer approaches you, asks a question. Most of the time in my experience, they're doing so for a reason. Right. Like there's something that has triggered that. Right. And so these cases are evaluated from the police officer's perspective based on all the facts that the officer knew. Right. So even though another person, you know, the the we would consider them a potential plaintiff in these type of police abuse cases would like to say, well, he did this and he did that. Well, mm. he did. And that's your perspective. Right. But we don't get to look at it from their perspective. Right. Um, so that, that's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. These, these cases aren't. I mean, it's, is it because police officers are trained to, I mean, obviously they know what the, de- if they're looking for a guy who just robbed a liquor store around the corner, you know, but they're also trained to evaluate the situation. I mean, it's, that's part of the job description. Right. Well, and case law wants to protect officers Mm -hmm. that are doing their job correctly. Mm -hmm. What case law says is basically even when an officer does something wrong, Mm -hmm. we have to look at the training. Did Mm -hmm. the officer know any better? Right. And that's one of the things you really have to delve into is, you know, for instance, you take a – a lot of veterans will come back and join the police force. Mm-hmm. So you're taking a combat veteran mm-hmm. into the police officer or police force. So now we're dealing with civilians. Right. This is two very different environments. Yeah, I mean, one is a, a combat situation where you're fighting against an enemy that is trying to kill you. And you shoot first and right. ask questions later. And one, you are keeping, and the other, you're keeping, keeping the peace, peace as much as you can. Yeah. And your duty is to protect right. the, yourself and those around you and the public at large. Yeah. I imagine that's a hard mental transition to make. For And I, I don't think the training is adequate. And I think that's one reason why you see as many cases as we've seen since we've had the actions going on in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. You have a ton of people who have been in combat that come back and go – to, to civilian police forces and they get, you know, the regular training mm-hmm. and the law enforcement agency looks at them as a, as a special breed of human being, which they are. Mm-hmm. But the problem is they kind of need reprogrammed in, mm-hmm. in a manner to reevaluate situations when they run into them instead of looking at people as combatives to looking people at civilians and then dealing with them as a civilian. Um, and not that they're automatically, if you run into the bad guy on the street in the civilian world, you're not automatically looking at, at knowing that that person's automatically hating you and trying to take your life. Mm-hmm. It's a different situation. You're just, you know, he might have a warrant. He might have something else. Right. You're not automatically going hands-on or, or use of force is not your first priority. Um, I think the de-escalation training that our officers get now is woefully inadequate. Mm-hmm. It's way less than the use of force, um, ha- uh, firearm policies, all, all that stuff they get a ton of training on, which is good. Yeah. But they also need an equal amount on interpersonal communications. Yeah. They need an equal amount on de-escalation. How not to use your yeah. firearm. How, so, yeah. how to bring the incident down yeah. a level as opposed to jack it up. Right. And they don't get nearly enough of that. And it's not the, the officer's fault. It's, right. It's – Typically, lack of funds and lack of priority for the police department. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, I mean, these things are traumatic for police officers, too. I imagine. Yeah, no cop wants – if nothing, if you're looking at it uh, pure, non-emotional, anything else, the cop doesn't want to go through 
the craziness that ensues after a shooting happens. Yeah. Not only is there an, an, an enormous amount of paperwork, there's also having to talk to everybody and their mother about what happened, yeah. how it happened, and explaining yourself. And, I mean, if, if it ends up resulting in a death, I mean, I imagine that's got a weigh on somebody's psyche yeah, a yeah, too. Yeah, that's just another you – know? you know, nobody looks at it from the cop's perspective as to – especially like this juvenile case, mm-hmm. this cop has to deal with, this law enforcement officer has to deal with that incident for the rest of his life. Yeah. And I guarantee you, if he wants to, every time he closes his eyes and he thinks about it, he can go through it piece by piece by piece because it burns, those type of incidents burn itself into your memory to the point where 20 years from now, this cop can see it plain as day in his, right. in his memory. And a lot of people don't look at that. Yeah. Right. Hmm. So the main things that we're looking at for police cases, um, it's really violation of your constitutional rights. So we have really – the Constitution sets up our basic rights. There are certain amendments that really matter more than others. Um, we have one case right now where we have a dual argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have – that one's – it's complicated because the case law, back to the, the courts want to protect the officer as much as possible reasonably possible. Mm-hmm. You have a certain standard out there for how they look at these things. Obviously, hindsight is always twenty twenty on these cases. What should the officer have done now that we know all the facts? We can judge that left and right because we, mm-hmm. we have the full knowledge of what happened and what was going on, where the officer is only dealing with bits and pieces of information while they're interacting with these people. So the the standard that's typically applied is the reasonable officer standard. What would a reasonable officer under the same circumstances with the same information, how would he handle himself with this person? Yeah. And, and how would things move forward? Um, there is one issue that we've ran into with our, our the one case we have going on right now that's significant. We're having to argue two sides of the coin dealing with use of force and resisting arrest. Um, there's civil law out there. Basically, if you plead guilty to resisting arrest, mm-hmm. but there was excessive use of force during that arrest, mm-hmm. that you're throwing away your ability to come back civilly and sue the police officer or the or the the department because you're basically saying, "Hey, yeah, I was guilty of resisting." Yeah. So my my rights to everything else go away. Yeah. That's a problem. Um, in our this particular case, we have where the resisting arrest was going on. Number one, it's a bogus. Um, they, they shoehorned this guy into pleading guilty on the, the resisting arrest specifically to get yeah. out of the civil case. <laughs> yeah. But there by, may be some procedural issues there that yeah. we get to go through. <laughs> the the resisting arrest um, part of things, uh, our, our gentleman was happened to be shot after he was handcuffed behind his back. Um, to me, that says the arrest already took place. He's already restrained. Yeah. Um, so we can argue that it was a post-arrest use of force. Mm-hmm. So we can argue both sides. We can argue that it was excessive use of force during the arrest. We can also argue the other side in the alternative, yeah. depending on how the whole unwinding the guilty plea for the resisting arrest charge right. um, I imagine, yeah, once the handcuffs are on, it's, I mean, they're essentially restrained. I mean, even if they manage to break free, I mean, they're not going to well, get Right. I mean, if they're far. running away, if they're running at yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there's a big difference also whether or not he's, you're handcuffed in the front or the back. If you're right. handcuffed in the front, the handcuffs are actually a weapon. Yeah. Uh, I've been hit with those; they hurt. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine so. They're if you're steel. handcuffed behind your back, yeah. there, this, I mean, it's so restrictive in what you can do. You, right. You're basically you have your legs. You're you're like a, a giant ostrich at that point. That's all yeah. you got. Uh, <laughs> so, so there's nothing else you can Small do. Small ostrich, well, actually. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. But I get yeah. Right. Huh. And officers are. 
trained to go one level up. Yeah. So whatever force you're using, they can go one level up. Hmm. That, that's the whole point. Well, if you're handcuffed behind your back mm-hmm. and there's no weapon near you mm-hmm. or no weapon visible, mm-hmm. and even if you had a gun, like, aim's not going to be super good. But no. still, like, you'd have to have it in your hand. Yeah. So what would the level of force be in that situation, even yeah. if you were resisting? Yeah. Like, it's still not. I mean, if you're not complying, I mean, I imagine, obviously, that's going to be used against you at some point in court or sure. something like that. But, I mean, if you're restrained, I mean, how much can you do? You right. Know? Right. So right. does it warrant lethal force? Right. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. I mean, that's my snap judgment, but I'm sure by no means qualified to make such judgments. Right. But then there are other times where the officers are the ones who potentially have created the situation. Mm-hmm. And that, that creates more complexity in those cases are harder. You've got um, your hands behind your back right now. I keep thinking like you're I'm you're doing still something. You, yeah, you're mimicking being like no. handcuffed <laughs> or something like that. Jen's been arrested a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. So... <laughs> Well, <laughs> never arrested. <laughs> I was the first one to bring law force, <laughs> law enforcement call um, at the house. But whatever, mom and dad were surprised by that one. Um, <laughs> for the record, we were out. Next week's episode. Uh, we were out past curfew. It was nothing bad. We were going to do our senior prank, <laughs> which is planting flowers. In the football field that was you going rebel. to be torn you up in the spring. Rebel. Yeah. I know. Woo. Crazy. Getting yeah. crazy. Um, but the cases where officers escalate a situation or create the dangerous situation that leads to excessive force or often in those situations death, those are the harder cases. And you really have to tear apart the details. Um for instance, we've there's um, been cases where uh, they saw what they thought was a gun. They saw a gun. Mm-hmm. It ended up being a BB gun. Right. Gun was seen. That yeah. made sense. There have been others that I'm sure everyone has seen on the news where nobody can really explain how we got there. Right. There's no reasonable explanation from the officers. And it's often caught on camera. Yeah. It's like nobody knows. Right. It's getting into all of those details, and that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. So these cases, you really have to find attorneys who can dig through and go through the code books and the trainings and figure out what should have happened versus what did happen and if it's reasonable. Mm -hmm. And that, that can take a chunk of time. Yeah, it's an insane amount of paper. Yeah, you have to look at everything that was in place while this officer, while this incident happened with this officer. So if something happens January one of two thousand seventeen, you have to go back and ask for the policy and procedure and every directive and order, all all those documents that were in place for that officer to be working off of 
and what his authorization was, what his training was supposed to be, what he what his reactions were supposed to be, to evaluate what the court looks at as the reasonable officer standard. Yeah. This is the way this officer's trained, this is the way he was supposed to react in the situation, how'd he react and what he do. What he see that triggered him or did he not see what he was supposed to see before he got triggered and just got triggered because he was having a bad day? Yeah. It, that's that's what we have to evaluate to a large degree. Um, when officers respond to scenes specifically, how do they evaluate what's going on? Do they take the time to slow down the incident that they have control of, the part that they have control of, and properly evaluate it so they can react properly? Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, you can't slow down depending on what's going on. But there's a whole lot of cases out there where you can slow it down. Yeah. And you can think rationally, look at things, what's the best way to react to this? What puts the public in the least amount of, of danger? What puts myself in the least amount of danger? How do mm-hmm. I approach the situation and be safe, as safe as I can for everybody involved? Sure. And that's that's some that's some of the biggest errors that you see in cases. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Ferguson, that was a big one in, in the last couple of years. Um, where that officer was trying to make basically an information stop and find out whether this particular kid was involved with this strong-arm robbery at the store. Mm -hmm. They had made the call. It was on the description that this was a kid. He stopped the kid. Evidently, the kid punched him in his cruiser, and and things went sideways from there. Mm -hmm. Um, That was one of those cases where I'm not going to say the officer did right or wrong, Mm -hmm. Um, my opinion is he should have had backup there as soon mm-hmm. as he interacted with that guy and it went sideways. Mm-hmm. You call for backup. You don't make an approach. You hop back in your cruiser. You make yourself safe. Yeah. Because you want to go home to your kids to, at night. Sure. Um, the guy on the street with no weapon, you, if you can avoid contact with him until you have help, by all means do so unless there's other civilians around that he's threatening. Right. So a lot of things could have been done and different in that issue, but it all blew up once it was handled the way it was handled. Right. And there's some wrong on both sides, obviously, in that case. But did the news media wait to see what the story was? Absolutely not. <laughs> right. Um, and that's my fault. That That's my fault with how media and people in general react to these things. You need to find out what the facts are on the case before you, you go sideways on the police officer. Mm. Um, because that's his life. That's his, his way of making money for his family. Um, that particular officer it will no longer work in law enforcement ever. He, yeah. he just can't. So he has to totally reprogram what he was doing, go basically reset his life. Mm-hmm. And back to the, the, the law enforcement officer typically does not want to pull the trigger on anybody because that's what the kind of things that can happen. Yeah. Right. Now, same thing on the defendant side. We go back to our old rule of don't be a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, you know, we're all pick on the uh, most recent court case with our juvenile getting mm-hmm. shot in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. His, according to, you know, what's been coming out, his mother first attacked the police officer. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a grown woman. Right. If he's 17, we're guessing she's at least 34. Yeah. So, you know, not a young, immature. Right. But someone who's been around. Yeah. Physically going after a police officer in a courtroom. You should know better than that. Right. Well, well where's it going to go? Yeah. I mean, what, what's your, your what, five-minute plan after that? Right, where, exactly. Where, yeah. You know, you're in a court. You're in a courthouse. Yeah. You have... A poli- places to do you it. have one police officer in your presence. You know there's many more in the building. Yeah. What's your plan? Yeah. Where was that a good idea ever in your head? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it just it it's a tragic situation. Sure. Right. Or um, you know, I've had cases, uh 
I think I've mentioned this on here before, but we were approached by a client who uh, was pulled over for speeding. And he was an ass. He started recording like the second he was pulled over. And so he has this whole interchange on recording. And the officer walks up and says, good morning, sir. Do you know why I pulled you over? Yeah. Immediately gets lippy. Mm. And the officer remained respectful. He's like, you were speeding and you don't have your seatbelt on. Whatever, you know, the charge was, I need your license and insurance. Guy's still mouthing off. Yeah. Officer didn't do anything wrong. He's doing his job. Yeah. And this guy is mouthing off and wanting us to sue the police officer. It's like, (laughs) no. (laughs) You got nothing, man. Their job is to make sure you're not driving like a crazy person and hurt somebody. Right. And, and, oh, by the way, driving is not a constitutional right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep, that's why there's a test you have to take. And, you have to get a license. And yeah. you have points. And if you have too many points, they can take away your license. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Your, yep. your right is the right to pursue I've always happiness. thought you, it should be the other way around, though. You should have a certain number of points, and if you lose the points. I don't know. That, that makes more sense to me. I think that's how they do it in Europe. If I'm not mistaken, that you lose I say points? to the, the very generic Europe, you know, like the Netherlands, hey, right. Netherlands people, clarify that for us. I thought they just work? rode bikes over there. That, yeah, might they be walk the case. a lot more. Yes. They're healthier. Well, that's because their gas is like $6 a gallon, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they have wooden shoes. No, that's not right. I can't say that. I that's, don't, that's I don't think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Netherlands. <laughs> I'm an ignorant American. Uh, Well, okay. So, I mean, basically the bottom line is just, you know, approach a police officer. Be as respectful respectful and polite and calm as you can. Use your words. That's what I say to my (laughs) three-year-old. Use (laughs) Use your your words. words. (laughs) You know, and I I mean, from there, I don't know. I think every situation is different. But it's it's interesting to hear that particular perspective, too. If yeah. things do go sideways, yeah. then you know, number one, if you're doing everything you're supposed to do, interacting yeah. with the cop, that you have some course to come back. You have a, you have a mechanism to come back after the cop with Yeah, if you've done what you're supposed to do. Yeah. If you haven't, then that could complicate things to where you have no recourse and the cop can get away with whatever he wants to do at that point yeah. because you've helped create the incident. So, you know, the incident won't occur typically if you act like you got some sense. If it does occur and you've been 100% good to go and reacted and responded to the cop in an appropriate manner, um, not gone to crazy town if the cop's crazy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Let the cop go there and just yes, sir, no, sir, and move forward. That's that's your your effort to de-escalate things. If things still go crazy, you have to remember that you want to go home to your family. Mm. You want to be in one piece and not go to the hospital. You act respectful. You do what's right. At the end of the day, you have the ability to go back and and get your pound of flesh if you want to later in a, in a court. Sure. Because you're the one that acted reasonable. The cop's not acting reasonable. There's got to be other people out there that see it, hear it, watch it, yeah, videotape it nowadays. Yeah. Um, or hopefully the cop's got a body camera, some type of recording device on we can subpoena and get a hold of. Yeah. To where we can prove your case and show that the cop was unreasonable, was overreacting to everything you did. It puts you in a better position all the way around and hopefully totally avoids the incident anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, Hmm. again, don't be a jerk. (laughs) Whether you're a police officer 
or yeah. potential or defendants. Civilian. Yeah. yeah. Don't be a jerk. Yep. Good plan. Be respectful. I like it. So, yeah. So thanks, Chris, for being on again. Yeah, thank um, you for coming back. Yep. You're welcome. If people do have a case that they want to evaluate, what's the phone number to reach you? Uh, it's 614-475-7008. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Um, before we get on to Ben's lawyer joke or cop joke or whatever joke of the week that <laughs> he's just now looking up, I guarantee it. Nope, had it for hours. Sure you did. We have, as always, our housekeeping. Talk slower. <laughs> A special thank you to Jonathan Grolo of Thrivent for sponsoring our podcast. He is uh, the go-to financial guru we like to talk to. Uh, if you would like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Facebook. That's our primary landing page where you can comment, get news, or suggest topics for a future episode. If you are already following us, thank you. We love you. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you can also really follow Boxland Media on Facebook as well. We do lots oh. of things up to and including putting out the fine print with Attorney Jen Route every week. Uh, you can check out our websites, boxlandmedia.com, or if you are in the market for some sort of media marketing, uh, give us a call, 614-505-0674. Right. If you're new to the show, welcome. We hope you come back. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you would take a few minutes out of your busy day, head over to iTunes and rate and review us. It helps us out with our visibility on the world's largest podcast repository. And finally, we'd like to thank all of you, our listeners. It's because of you that our podcast exists. Uh, if you like what you hear, remember, sharing is caring. And maybe there's an episode here in our list that might apply to you or somebody you know. Uh, yeah. Maybe forward that along. Sharing is, in fact, caring. And would you like to hear this week's joke of the week? Absolutely. It is a cop-oriented joke, and I will warn you ahead of time, it is a terrible, 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 terrible joke. Are we all going to hell for this one? No, no, no. Okay. It's just a dumb joke, oh, which okay. I, I'm a big fan of these days. So, t- two types of terrible. Terrible yes, dumb no, no. or is, terrible, This is terrible oh. as in, like, you're going to go, oh, God. Um, so, Didn't we do that last time I was here? Yes, I we did. So. <laughs> what did the policeman say to his belly button? Oh, God, I'll say it now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're under a vest. Oh, right? God. <laughs> wow. It's it's bad when you laugh at la- not laughing at the joke. Oh. Yeah. All right, right, folks. Well, until next time, I'm Ben Needenthal. And I'm Attorney Jen Rout, reminding you that ignorance of the law excuses no man from following it. All right, folks. We will see you next time. This program is meant to be informative in nature does not constitute actual legal advice or form an attorney-client relationship in any way. Views and opinions stated in this program are solely the views and opinions of the speaker. Each situation is different. Always consult an attorney in your state to analyze your specific legal needs. This program may change your views of attorneys in general, as they are not what they seem on TV. I mean, seriously, could the main character in Suits actually exist in real life? Boxland Media. Think big. This week's support for the fine print with attorney Jen Route comes from Thrivent Financial. For more